0: Welcome to the connect church podcast our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with god you can connect with god and we can help Good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name is Alex, and I'm the Connections resident here. My job is to help people get connected here at Connect with community groups or with serving or just trying to meet people if this is your first time here to the area or looking around for a church. And so if you want to talk afterward, I would love to say hi. That's what I love to do. So thank you for being here. I'm so glad. I know as Christmas is winding up, we're getting so close. There are a lot of things demanding your attention and your time. And so I'm glad that you joined us this morning um, today. So I wanna talk a little bit about expectancy because it's kind of a theme that hangs over the Christmas season, but it's also a general thing that guides us throughout life. Um, It can be fun, sometimes it can be hard. Um, Expectancy is fun sometimes when you're doing something that's exciting, um, like Christmas morning presents, you're expecting about what could be under the tree. Um, for my friend Nathan and I, we yesterday did a hike at Fremont Peak in Canyon City. And what started is just a little hike down Tunnel Drive in Canyon City through the gorge where we saw the peak and thought, okay, this might be kind of fun to hike up, especially with the lighting setting a little earlier, we might be just in time for the sunset. And so expectancy drove us up. We're going to hike through all the snow and the mud, even on this trail, hoping to get a great view of the sunset. And as we did, every time you turn a corner, you see maybe a little bit more of a false summit. You're like, wait, this trail isn't going where I thought it was going to go. And so we did that for several, a couple hours and the sun kind of beat us. So we had to settle a little bit for a slightly lesser view than what the top of the peak would have been, but it was still pretty good. But expectancy was the driver behind that. We wouldn't have attempted the hike if we weren't expectant about what the view was at the top. Now expectancy can also be more difficult. Sometimes it's when you get bad news about maybe a health scare or financial crisis or a big change coming up. The expectancy of what's going to happen what's going to, God going to do can be challenging. I know for me one of the most challenging informative expectant experiences in my story um, this far just a few years ago when I moved out here to Denver in 2021 um, I was just uh, graduated college in May 2021 and so that summer I had this holding pattern where I was living in Joplin, Missouri working at Target and I knew I was going to move to Denver in August and so this whole three months I was just waiting Waiting, 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 stocking shells at Target, dreaming about climbing mountains, that are becoming Colorado meeting people, building community, and going to school. And this expectancy of like, what is God going to do? I, I feel the sense that he's called me here, but I don't know what to expect. I'm hopeful, but I'm curious. And so sometimes expectancy can be, um, you know, curious about the mystery. What's going to come? And that's where we find ourselves today as we look at our Christmas series, Expectant. We're uh, picking up in the story where God has been silent for over 400 years. Israel hasn't heard a peep from him. There's a lot of mystery going on. What is God going to do? We know something's coming. Israel is groaning. They're they're wanting um, escape from the uh, Roman political and economic um, grip that they have. Um, There's lots of things going on, so many things in the Bible that are um, building towards this expectancy that God's people need him to move. And so that's where we see today, um, we're going to read about the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, we know a little bit about them um, from previous sermons, but uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're John the Baptist's parents. Before he got the Baptist title, but just John. They're his parents, and we're going to read about his birth story today. They had plans, I'm sure, but God interrupted them. And they had been expectantly waiting for the results of these plans thus far. And we're going to see what happens. Um, But before we enter the text this morning, let's get some background, just recap about what um, has happened so far in their lives. First, Elizabeth has been pregnant, um, but she's not supposed to be because she's old and she's been barren. But the angel Gabriel appeared to her and told her that she was going to have this baby, John, and that he was going to prepare the way for Jesus. And then Zechariah, uh, Gabriel also appeared to him. Actually, Elizabeth, I'm mixing my Mary and Elizabeth stories up. Gabriel didn't appear to Elizabeth. He appeared to Zechariah and told all these things. And Zechariah didn't believe it at first. And Zechariah um, was uh, doubting. And so the Gabriel uh, said, you're going to be silent until this baby is born. And that's what happened. And so now Elizabeth is reaching her term, nine months. She's met Mary. Mary also got a visit from Gabriel. And Gabriel told her that she was pregnant with Jesus. So there's all kinds of things going on. God is finally showing up and something is about to happen. And this is where we enter our story. So I want to read the whole text in um, one big reading because I think it's really helpful when we get the whole thing together. So bear with me. I'm going to read Luke 1, 57 through 80. And the text will be on the screen. Verse 57 says this. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. All the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Amen. What a rich story of God's faithfulness and mercy. Um, Before we dive into this text and really unpack what it means, let's pray together and ask God to reveal some stuff to us as we go through it. God, thank you for this opportunity to be able to study your word and um, a story that maybe is easy to look for uh, through as this Christmas season builds. We're always looking to Jesus, and we can't wait to talk about that later, but also this beautiful story of how you showed up in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life uh, through your mercy and through your kindness and through John. And so would you help us to see what you're doing here? Would you help us to see what we can apply as we go about our days and represent Jesus to other people? Um, and may you speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so throughout this passage, we're given highlights of God's mercy. It's sort of a thread woven through this whole text. It's somewhat not obvious at all times, but sometimes explicitly said. But let's circle back to Elizabeth at the beginning in verse 57 and see what's happening here. I want to read it one more time, just 57-58. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Now remember, as I mentioned before, Elizabeth is not supposed to be pregnant. She's old and had been barren. And so these nine months building up to this culmination of the miracle uh, is a big deal. And she never thought she'd see the day. Consider the pain and frustration, though, that Elizabeth has faced throughout much of her story. I mean, a lot of women in her situation, even in ancient Old Testament times and in her day there, they received a lot of embarrassment, a lot of shame. A lot of social disgrace because they couldn't have kids. And so as she's gone about, she's probably had to deal with the whispers of people saying, oh, what has she done? Did she sin? Or I wonder what's wrong with her, stuff like that. She's had to deal with those things, wondering if she's up to no good. And while the text doesn't tell us um, whether Elizabeth really felt all those things, I can't help but wonder if lies like that were whispered around her. But all this changed when Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and told him about this baby that was going to be born to them. I want to remind you specifically of the promise that Gabriel said because it ties directly into our text this morning. Gabriel said this earlier in chapter 1. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Now, there's an important declaration here that Gabriel's saying, and it ties in directly to this because the way Luke writes 57 and 58, he's actually uh, fulfilling Gabriel's words. It's really cool. It's almost exactly as it was intended. But then uh, we see this joy pop up, and that's the joy that Gabriel has promised. This joy that um, not only Elizabeth has because she's having her baby, but the neighbors and relatives have. They are joyous for her as well. Um, it says, Her neighbors and relatives heard the Lord had shown her great mercy. God demonstrated his personal act of mercy to Elizabeth as well. And it's a cause for joy. We see this and we wonder, okay, that's a strange line. We don't necessarily um, attribute that to uh, one-on-one encounters necessarily with God all the time, that God had mercy on a person. But in this story, God does. Uh, I know there's a lot of um, pain around um, childbirth and not always having uh, the opportunity to have kids. And um, I don't understand sometimes why God picks people that have kids and why not. I know a lot of people who haven't have lifted up prayers. But in this case, God decided to um, give Elizabeth this gift for one big reason, not only to show her personal mercy, but also to show mercy to Israel, to have a demonstration um, to show them the way to Jesus. And so instead of this personal act of mercy just being limited to her, it grows. And so now people are sharing about her story. Instead of whispering about what's wrong with Elizabeth, they're saying, have you heard this great news about Elizabeth? She's had this baby, and he is going to be something great. From here, Luke continues to share about Zechariah and Elizabeth's response. Verse 59 says this, On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Now, we've got to have some understanding of the context here, too, of who they are. They are good, faithful Jewish people, and so they're going to go circumcise their son on the eighth day, as God had prescribed in law way back when. That's what God's people did, is kind of sign the covenant. And on that eighth day, they would name their child as well. And traditional it that you kind of pick from the family tree, probably the father's side, and pick a name there and give it to your child. So makes sense that they would maybe name the boy Zechariah. So when Elizabeth speaks up and emphatically says, no, his name is John. This is crazy. No one would do this. This is not logical. This doesn't make sense. But the story gets crazier because Luke says this in 62, then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Remember that with the encounter in Gabriel, because Zechariah doubted what the angel was saying, he was going to not be able to speak until the baby was born. Now, back in those days, they also associated me- muteness with uh, deafness. And so that's why I'm assuming, we're not sure if that is true, if it's both deaf and mute, but given the people's reactions and they're making signs to him, trying to get his attention, they don't think he can hear either. And so that's why he grabs a sign tablet. So the fact that he writes his name is John is shocking to the crowd because they think he's deaf. And so how on earth has he figured out with his wife to both agree on this weird name change? Now, we don't know. We can't speculate too much If what Elizabeth and Zechariah, how they decided that. We don't know. But the crowd is clearly shocked that they would come to this conclusion together. Clearly, God is up to something. This is not normal and they were, um, well, I think what is so shocking about this is that they were obedient to God. They could have avoided this name thing. They could have avoided all this drama, but they remained obedient. And following their obedience, Luke writes this then in 64, immediately his mouth, Zechariah's, was opened and his tongue was set free. And he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. God's mercy and this couple's obedience comes together and becomes the talk of the region. Those who had witnessed it were filled with awe, and they had to tell others, because this is not normal. This is not everyday stuff. Who was this child going to be? God's mercy was preparing a way. I feel like in our suburban and tech-led lives in Denver, South Denver, that um, we often have messages that spread, but we are using like social media or um, sometimes we might just talk to our coworkers. And, but we also don't always know maybe what our neighbors, what their good news is. And we sometimes live this isolated life. And so hearing about this, where people are openly sharing, traveling across the region, about um, sharing about what Elizabeth and Zechariah's story has been, seems somewhat foreign to us. But I wonder maybe if we've kind of lost touch with sharing good news, where sharing good news might be like sending a TikTok or a reel to someone to make them laugh, or it might just be sharing a funny joke or a fun story. But sometimes good news like this, like a a surprise pregnancy that has culminated in this way through the Lord, that is big news. And maybe that's something we need to think about as we enter this Christmas season, how we can maybe get better at sharing good news that actually changes our lives. Similarly, Zechariah cannot hold back from sharing this good news because the Holy Spirit comes upon him and fills him with praise. And so Luke shares the psalm that Zechariah prophesied. And I want to read it one more time. I know we're reading so much text today, but there's so much rich theology happening in these words. And so Zechariah says this, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Yeah, the Psalm is so, so good, so rich in understanding about what God is doing. Zechariah's psalm prophecy is is defined by two parts. One, we see um, he's praising God for uh, what he's done, his faithfulness in the past. And then he's also prophesying about what his son is going to do in the future. Both of these are tied together with God's mercy and salvation. Now, let's think back to our Old Testament knowledge. And for a second, I need to step on my soapbox. If you haven't read any of the Old Testament in a long time, I really encourage you to go do that because... I think the Christmas season is even richer when you understand what God has done in the past so we can wait expectantly for what God is doing now and in the future. So if you need to crack open Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, or any of those books before Christmas, I suggest you do it. I think you'll appreciate Christmas even more. So That's my soapbox. Now, going back to our OT knowledge, we need to remember a few characters that Zechariah mentions. First, he covers Abraham. Remember Abraham? He's the father of Israel. God made a covenant with him, and he was super old. He should, he and his wife, Sarah, shouldn't have had a baby, but they did, kind of like Elizabeth. And through that baby, they were able to um, fulfill this covenant and through God's promise. Um, and we see several generations later, the descendants of Abraham were then brought to Egypt. Um, we, the stories of Jacob and Joseph And they were there for 400 years, not on their own choice. They became enslaved after just staying there and their population grew. Pharaoh decided to take them over. And so they stood there and 400 years and waited for God to move. But he was faithful in his promise and delivered them. And that's where we see Moses into the picture. Moses had this promise from God as well that God was going to do something. He was expectant. And God made a covenant with his people. Then we also see Zechariah's mention of David. David, a little while later in Israel's story, is a a king who followed Saul. And um, he was, you know, a really cool guy. He uh, slayed Goliath, which is pretty neat. He did a lot of victories and stuff in his time, but he also did a lot of not great things. However, amidst that, he was also called a man after God's own heart. He was also a time of golden age in Israel as well. And so a lot of people look to David and his son was predicted to um, have some big influence. And so we see a lot of expectancy with what is this line of David going to produce? In each of these stories, God is quite merciful because quite honestly, none of these people are great and they make a lot of mistakes. We see that in Abraham, we see that in Israel and David. There's a lot of times where God could have cut the cord and left, but he didn't. He decided to show them mercy, and he remembered his promise and his covenant to them. And so that is what God, uh, Zechariah is celebrating, that God, even amidst the silence to Israel, he is showing up now in a big way. He has not forgotten his people. He is merciful to them. So I want to ask you this. Where has God entered your story with mercy? It's kind of a big deal. When I reflect on my story and I think about God's mercy, I'm like, wow, this is actually something that's significant. That really changed the trajectory of my life. Um, One big moment of God's mercy that I really think, to was back in 2020. I know uh, lots of things were obviously going on then, but specifically for me, I was kind of reaching this breaking point with identity and purpose and a lot of choices I was trying to figure out in relationships I had. And so um, it, everything just kind of came crumbling down in 2020. And then you heat the pandemic and everything else on that. And it was a lot. And I felt I felt like I was in the stuck place where I had this calling to go into ministry, but everything had kind of crumbled under me. And so I said, God, what am I supposed to do? But it was God in his mercy that reached out to me. And I think uh, nudged me with the Holy Spirit to go finally ask for help. I wouldn't have probably done that on my own, but the nudge of the Holy Spirit, I think, was a big one. His mercy also showed up in the friends that were present through that, that remained active and um, intentional throughout that. It showed up through mentors and counselors that I met with. His mercy came together to, um, I think, put me back on track for this calling that I felt really clearly, that, yes, you're supposed to be in ministry, and even though things crumbled, we can put it back together, if you trust me. God was faithful to his promise that he was going to lead me there. And so then I ask you, where has God showed up in your story with mercy? That's the theme of Zechariah's song he's looking back. God has shown up time and again when he didn't have to, but he's faithful to his promises. In fact, Zechariah proclaims this. Why does God even show mercy? It says this in seventy four, seventy five, "...to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and in holiness and righteousness before him all our days." You see, God rescued Israel in order to empower them to come back to him. He shows mercy because he wants to draw us back to himself. He shows us mercy because he wants us to partner with him in his work, to serve him in holiness and righteousness and without fear. God doesn't want you to go away, to be afraid of him, to think you're not worthy. He instead meets you with mercy and brings you back in. And see, God's mercy shows up here in this story. This family that would look like nobody to us, even to them back in ancient Israel, they would look like nobody. But through them, through Zechariah and Elizabeth, they have this promise. And Zechariah finishes with the prophecy about John, saying that he's going to be a prophet of the Most High who prepares the way. What will John's message be? That there will be salvation and forgiveness of sins because of God's tender mercy. He's preparing the way for Jesus. And in verse eighty, we see this: and the child grew up and became strong in spirit, and lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. And we see this Christmas season, we're singing and praising and celebrating God's act of mercy, which John was poised to share about. This is why God brought him; he wanted to announce the coming of Jesus. And at the end of Zechariah's song, he likens the arrival of mercy to the reign of light over darkness. He says, "The sun rises up and shines light into the darkness." And therefore, he does this in his tender mercy. What I believe Zechariah and Elizabeth teach us this morning is that um, through God's mercy, their obedience is that because of God's mercy, we can trust in his salvation plan, who is Jesus. Because of God's mercy, we can trust in his salvation plan, who is Jesus. What good news that is. But, friends, I don't think we can just sit here and hear this message and walk away and not do anything about it because clearly Zechariah and Elizabeth, they didn't do that. They went and shared this joy with people and people uh, had it. It was contagious. If you believe that what happened in these verses is true and that God's mercy is real and if you reflect on how God's mercy has intersected your story, then you too must go share this joy, this news. Just as Jesus commands in Luke six thirty six, where he says this, be merciful just as your father is merciful. And just as God's one act of mercy towards Elizabeth, towards Zechariah, towards Israel, so too was it meant to impact all people. It's not just personal, it's for everyone. So we too must embody this character of God. If that's what our father is, then we too are going to be merciful. So how are we going to go do that? Maybe parents... Um, teach your children mercy this week. I don't know what it looks like and you're teaching in dynamic with your kids. And I also know Christmas season is kind of crazy. It's hard to parent kids uh, sometimes when they're just coming off break and also they have Christmas presents under the tree. There's a lot going on. But if we're to embody this, then I think we need to teach it to our kids as well. Even when it's 7.30 p.m. the kids are going crazy and you're just trying to get everyone to bed, ask God to create a space for you to teach your kids what it looks like to show mercy and receive it. You never know what impact it might have. Um, To those of us who are still going to work this week, who might have a few days left, it's kind of hard to show mercy in tough situations when maybe you have deadlines for the end of the year, you're really just not wanting to be there because you know break is coming. But maybe there are opportunities in your office or your workplace to show mercy. And I know in South Denver where the hustle culture is there where it's merciless. Maybe if we want South Denver to look more like the kingdom of heaven, maybe we need to show acts of mercy. So, I don't know what that looks like, but maybe ask God to help you keep an eye out for that this week. To everyone entering friends and family spaces this Christmas, that is also another opportunity to show mercy, where it often would go to the wayside. I know some people really have great family situations they're going back to at Christmas, and others don't. And there's a lot of tension, frustration. Showing mercy is the last thing that anyone would expect in those types of moments. But maybe that's how you can introduce the light of Jesus into that space. Showing mercy when no one is looking for it, even when you're at home. I don't know how God might convict you this morning of what it looks like to show mercy, but I do know this, that we should all be on the same page. That God's mercy leads to us understanding the salvation plan that is Jesus and the reason that we celebrate Christmas. That God was merciful to send his son in human flesh to join us on this earth so that he could understand us, that we could understand him. And that ultimately we would have salvation through him. So with that, I want to pray over us and ask that God would help us do this this week, stand out and make South Denver a little bit more like the kingdom of heaven because of the mercy that we show. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time to really unpack what you're doing, what you've been doing throughout this narrative scripture. You have shown up time and again to show mercy when we didn't deserve it. Would you allow us to show mercy this week in um, different acts with our family at work, um, wherever we're going? And may that be a reflection of who you are, that you, our Father, are merciful, and that we want to be like you. We also want to be like Jesus who came um, and that we're celebrating. So with all that, we are expectant of what you're doing and what you're going to do. We trust you. In your Son's name,